All right, go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Welcome to Marin Covenant Church again. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, this is Youth Pastor Sunday. And um, this is after a full week of Christmas. This is uh, usually the, the time the youth pastor gets to share, but our youth directors are traveling. And so I got to be with you. How fun is that? Aren't you fun? Yeah, super fun. All right. Well, um, it's the last Sunday before the New Year's. Are there any New Year's resolution people in here? Wow. Okay. Well, I'm a New Year's resolution person, and I've had New Year's resolutions for my entire life. And I think, you know, we in Marin were a little sophisticated about it because we know they don't really work. But for me, it's my one hope once a year to maybe dream of this new version of myself. And for ever since I think I was old enough to understand that I was a little overweight, my number one New Year's resolution has been to lose 20 pounds. Year in, year out, that's the way to do it. So right now, just tell me, what are the two things that I need to do if I'm going to lose 20 pounds? Yeah, eat a little less or a lot less and exercise. Super simple, super basic, and yet I struggle really hard. Well, this last uh, spring, uh, Kate and I, we got these old Apple watches, and uh, they've been helping us keep on track. Have you seen these little circles? Uh, people that are like Fitbit people that walk 10,000 uh, steps, um, but we are now Apple Watch people, and we try to close our circles. And uh, if you're not familiar with this, it's crazy. You, you, uh, you have to exercise for 30 minutes. There's a certain number of calories you need to burn, and then you have to stand for 12 hours. And you think, how hard is that to stand for 12 hours? And there are times when it's like I'm staying up till 11 o'clock because I missed my stand because I've been in meetings or watching TV for so long, but I'm like, I got to hit my stand. Or if I'm staying up till midnight, I always stay till 12.02 and I get my, my midnight stand in. But I realized as much as I want to lose weight, every year it's such an uninspiring thing to, to do. And, I, and I've thought about it for a long time, and I realized the reason I want to lose weight is because in some weird broken part of my life, I want to be an Abercrombie model. I want to wander around Marin with my shirt off, smelling beautifully with Axe spray, and be like, hey, look at me. Now, I've yet to see any middle-aged man wander around Marin with their shirt off, so I know that's, like, that's not a real thing, but in my mind, I want to be just shredded and just be an Abercrombie model. That's the reason why I want to lose 20 pounds. And there's a reason why I've never done it, because that's so uninspiring. Is that uninspiring? I know. But what's interesting is, over the last few years, I've realized I want to lose weight, and I want to be healthy for a different sort of reason. Right? As my kids are getting older, I'm like, gosh, I kind of wouldn't mind living longer and seeing them live their whole life. And, um, and there's another thing that's come up where I realized... There's certain adventures that I want to do and I want to be able to do, but in order to do them, I have to have a certain level of fitness. So now, instead of like going to the gym and working out and trying to eat right, it's not so I can be an Abercrombie model. It's because I have a, a vision, a dream of some adventure I want to be a part of, and I need to be in shape for that. So a year ago, I signed up to climb Mount Rainier. It's 14,400 feet up in, Mount, up in uh, Washington State. And, uh, and a year ago, a friend of mine was like, you want to do this? I'm like, well, yeah, how hard can that be? And uh, for, like, for two months, I like, just dreamt of how great this was going to be. But as it got closer, I started panicking, like, this is going to be hard. And all of a sudden, I found myself working out. And I worked out harder than I've ever worked. It's the middle of summer. It's 100 degrees. I have a backpack that weighs 30 pounds. I'm hiking up to Mount Burdell as fast as I can, trying to get my heart in shape. And it's funny, I was not motivated at all to be shredded like an Abercrombie model. I was motivated because I did not want to get stuck halfway up this mountain and fail and have to tell people that I failed. And so I worked out a ton. I was in the best shape of my life. I've still kept my shirt on because no one wanted to see that, but I was in the best shape of my life. And sure enough, this fall came around and we, I, we flew up to Washington 
at base camp. We hike, you know, um, from 5,000 feet to 9,000 feet. We're at base camp. We get, wake up at midnight. And at midnight, we start hiking from base camp to the summit. It took us six and a half hours. It is so hard. It was the hardest thing I have ever done. And I love being in creation. I love backpacking. I love exerting myself. It was all the things that I love doing. And I hated this. It was so hard. And so, it's, so at midnight, you're hiking in for about an hour and a half. And then you take a break. And then an hour and a half, you take a break. And then you like basically straight to the summit. And the guy said, listen, there's, after the second break, that's your last chance to turn around. And so we get the last chance. Like, does anyone want to turn around? And I'm like, well, kind of. And I thought about it, I thought about it, and I thought, if I turn around, my wife is going to kill me. You spent how much money? You were gone for how long? And you got tired? Like, like that would not, not compute her. So I'm like, I'm in. And for the next four hours, every step was, I'm going to die. Katie's going to kill me. I'm going to die. Katie's going to kill me for four more hours until I get to the summit. And I finally got to the summit oh, at 6.45 in the morning. It was glorious. Uh, we all were snapping pictures. Take a look at this picture. Is this like, take that, Abercrombie, huh? <laughs> so I sent this picture to a friend of mine. I was so proud. And uh, he's like, oh, that's so great. Like three hours later, I get this text. He's like, I re-looked at that picture. I looked at your eyes. Your eyes are dead. I'm like... <laughs> Because my eyes were saying, I hate myself. I hate my life. This is the worst decision I ever made in my entire life. But what's interesting is this adventure changed how I viewed fitness. Right? Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. Eat right and exercise. Like, so boring. But to have an adventure that I want to do well in, that's going to stimulate my life and my heart and do all the things that God made me to do, man, I will hike with a backpack up Mount Burdell and have people judge me because it looks so foolish. And so this year, I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn how to, I'm going to, learn how to uh, surf a shortboard. And so I have a whole plan. I'm not going to lose a ton of weight, but I have a plan of how I'm going to swim and be in shape. So I'm going to, this summer, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to do it no matter what. And hopefully, I, I won't fail. But the reason why I tell that, and it was kind of a humble brag, actually, it was more just a brag. But the reason why I tell you that is because as it's New Year's, I just want to present this question to you. And it's a simple question. And if you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, it's not a complex question. And it's that, it's this. Do you have a plan for your spiritual formation, right? It's the new year. You have a plan for your job. You have a plan for your body. You have a plan for wanting to write more or learn how to master an instrument. There's certain things that you've set out that you want to master. You want to make sure you're better at, and you've begun to formulate a plan. It's new years, and it's time to formulate a plan uh, spiritually as well. And as Christians, we need to be people who have a plan that helps us move towards Christ. We need to be people that are connected to Christ, that do certain rhythms, certain disciplines to help us be the Christians that God's called us to be. And the more and more I thought about this, it, I thought, gosh, this is such a boring topic. It'd be like doing a whole sermon of eat, right, and exercise, eat, right, and exercise, eat, right, and exercise. Everybody knows, spend time with God and pray, spend time with God and pray, spend time with God and pray. It's like, no kidding. And so what I want to do is at the end of my sermon, I do want to walk through a couple of really practical things that we can be doing to help us do the right things to be connected to Christ. But I wanted to begin by helping you understand that we don't eat right and exercise spiritually so that we can just be good Christian people. So we can just be good, righteous people who can sit around and judge our neighbors and have the whole Bible memorized. That is not why we do this. That is not why we spend time with God. That's not why we go to church. 
But we come to church, we spend time with God, we do spiritual formation because we have been given an incredibly high calling. And I think if we can get our head around that God has called you and me to something that is noble and huge and epic, then all of a sudden the boring task of spend time with God and pray, spend time with God and pray, all of a sudden is part of the plan that allows us to do this incredible, noble calling. And here it is. This is the noble calling. You, by the very fact that you're here at Marin Covenant, the fact that you live in the North Bay, you are part of an incredible movement of God. And it may not feel that way because only 2% of people in our whole county make church even a moderate part of their normal life. Like there's hardly any Christians around. We live in a context where the cult, there's no cultural consensus about what's right and about what's wrong. There's no theological consensus, even among the Christians, about what are the right things that we're going to agree that are moral and not moral. So moral and ethics and theology, right, those things are all jumbled. We live in this moment where it just feels like, what in the world is going on? It just is a total different context than anywhere else that I've ever been. And you are planted right here. And God longs for you not to be in a fortress, not to be noble Christians scared of the big bad world, but God has actually called you and me, called our entire church to be missionaries, to be people who exude the grace and mercy of Christ to our neighbors and to our guests who come and, and, and smell this fragrance of Christ and wander in. And their starting point is so different than your starting point and then my starting point. And sometimes when we spend so much time with, in Scripture, we get our, our world all dialed in, and then we judge everyone around us for not being where we are. But that's not the posture of missionaries. Missionaries do all of that work so we make sure we're rooted in Christ. We know and love Jesus. We know how to discern the Holy Spirit, and we can see where God is at work, and we show up there. And thankfully, God's been doing this for all of history, and we have a great... Um, Picture this in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, this is what happens. There's this man named Cornelius, and he's a centurion. He's part of the Italian regiment. He's a Gentile, a non-Jewish guy. And yet he's a God-fearer, which means he loves God. He doesn't love God the way the the Jewish people loved God because he didn't have the Torah, and he didn't have synagogue, and he didn't have all the rules and rituals. um, But he loved God. Scripture says that he, he gave to the poor. He was devoted to God and to the ways of God. And... And he has this vision that he's supposed to invite Peter to come to his house. Now, Peter, he's Jesus' best friend. Like, no one is closer to Jesus than Peter. And Peter's like, I can't go to Cornelius' house. He's a Gentile. What if he serves me bacon? There's no way. I've spent my entire life being pure, being holy, being kosher, making sure that everyone knew that there's the world and then there's us, God's people. And he spent his entire life making sure that everyone knew that distinction. And yet Peter also gets this vision from God. And God says, listen, Peter, you need to go to Cornelius' house. And he has this vision where this blanket comes down from heaven with just a mound of bacon and bacon-wrapped sausage bacon. I mean, I mean, there's other things in there too, but that's how I imagine just this mound of bacon come down. And Peter's like, I've heard about this bacon stuff, but no. I mean, I don't think we can imagine it. For your entire life, the, the number one marker that showed that you were devoted to God was that you would keep kosher, that you would not eat this food, and yet now you have this vision where God's like, eat bacon if it's presented to you. So after three times, Peter's finally like, okay, fine, I'll go. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and sure enough, you know, they serve up a plate of bacon, and they start eating. And Peter, like, I love it, right out of the gate, 
This is so awesome. Like, this is, we, we don't want to learn this lesson from how to be a good guest, but this is what Peter says. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with someone like you. That's a good way to start it, right? But then he softens it up. But God has shown me what I, that I should not, sorry. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That's a huge statement. We think of one another as impure and unclean. Things we do are impure and unclean, but we are not to treat anyone as impure or unclean. He goes on to say in, in chapter 10, verse 34 to 36, he says this. So then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God has sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. God does not show favoritism. He accepts people from every nation who fear him and does what is right. And you and me, because we live in Marin County, because we're part of Marin Covenant Church, we are called to be noble and godly women and men, but we need a master's level of spirituality. We no longer live in a context where we can just mark people off, you're my tribe, you're not my tribe, and then just cut everybody away. We have to be people who are so committed to be moving towards Christ that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we are going to move towards him and strive to honor him and worship him. And then we're going to listen and see where the Holy Spirit is alive and active and go there. And it's going to feel weird. And it's going to feel dirty. And it's going to feel like we might even be violating part of our, our morality and our ethics. But Jesus said, listen, nobody is impure. And when we become these master's level of spiritual formation Christians, then we can also begin to have the hard conversations. And people always think, oh, we're too, we don't want to have hard conversations. We, all, we just want to be wishy-washy. We want to be all things to all people. That is not it at all. We are people who are devoted to Christ, devoted to be hearing from the Holy Spirit. And as we grow in Christ, then we can have all sorts of conversations about theology and culture. And there's a million questions that we have to wrestle with that people in our church, in our context, are dying to know the answers to and to wrestle with. But we have to have a posture that allows us to engage them. And then, man, Let's get after it. Let's talk all about theology and sexuality. Let's talk about legal marijuana. Let's talk about working too hard. Let's talk about being too materialistic, right? There's a bazillions of issues that God actually wants to speak into, that God wants to shape and mold and cause us to conform to. But that's a journey of people moving towards Christ, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's our noble calling. That's why we eat right and exercise spiritually. That's why we spend time in God's word. We spend time praying. We do the simple things day in and day out because you have been given this noble calling. If you didn't want such a noble calling, you could have moved to Turlock, but God planted you here. So praise God for that. Okay, with all that being said, we're going to talk a little practicality because I think it's helpful to know. I mean, I'm a pastor. My whole life and job is revolved around wanting to figure out how to know and love God. And I'm still figuring these things out. I'm still finding new ways to spend time with God. So even if you're like, oh, I know, eat right and exercise. Okay, great. Well, then try putting it into practice more and more because the people who know God the deepest and best are the ones who do the daily things day in and day out. So we started our whole Advent series looking at this passage in John chapter 15, verse 5. And Jesus says this, that Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
If someone remains in me and I remain in you, then you are going to bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is such a great anchor verse because this is not about you earning God's favor. This isn't about you being a good person. This isn't about you trying really hard to figure it out. This is about you moving towards Christ. This is you being in a posture where you're connected to the vine. Then the Holy Spirit does this work in you and through you. He molds us, he shapes us, he transforms us, and we bear fruit. And by being connected to Christ, we now become people who are marked by love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? All the fruits of the Spirit. We talk about it at our church, right? That this life towards Christ is this, that it's inspired, intelligent, and involved. That if we're going to be people who are rooted in Christ and God's having his way and molding us and shaping us, then our faith isn't a self-serving faith. It's a faith that challenges and inspires our heart, challenges and inspires our best thinking, and it challenges and inspires us to be God's people to the world around us. And if it doesn't have any of that fruit, then we're doing it a little bit wrong. So how do we do that? Well, there's four things I think that are, that are helpful in the diet of how to encounter God. And the very first one is this, to encounter him. And this is what we mean by encountering him. Encountering God means that we are people that are connected to God's word. I think the Bible is hard to read. It's hard to understand sometimes. Um, it's kind of boring too. Um, but for some reason, for all of Christian history and for all of Jewish history before that, there was something that the, the that the wisest, sagiest people said was when you come to God's word, God's word is sharper than, a, than any double-edged sword. It's alive and it's active. God's word is the thing that molds us and shapes us. It convicts us. It rebukes us. It, it inspires us. So there's something about being a part and connected to God's word. And if we aren't people who are regularly connected to God's word, then we are missing it. And so what are you doing to regularly be connected to God's word? You're at church. We get some time to, to unpack parts of scripture. That's really great. But what are you doing in your normal daily life? And they can look in so many different ways. There's a Oswald Chambers has this book, My Utmost for His Highest. It's one verse and then a little devotional. Um, I've done, I've, I'm trying to do this thing where you read through the Bible in a year. Um, I actually like almost most of my devotional life is on a phone these days. I, I tried to go back, but I can't do it. But there's this app, it's a version app. And, and so I picked the Bible in a year plan um, because it's some Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, um, and a proverb all together. And it's taken me three years to get, oh, He's like, what more? Um, it takes, it's taken me three years to get through it, but there's a consistency to it, right? And so for you thinking, if you want to be someone who's moving towards Christ, if you want to have a maturing walk with him, if you want to become this godly woman and man, it begins with encountering him. And so where in your life are you spending time with him in his word, reading scripture, so reading scripture is important, right? It changes us, it molds us, it, it helps us understand who God is. But we can't just say read scripture for information's sake. We read scripture to be formed. And so the next part is just as important, and that's to be reflective. This is a whole different discipline. It's one thing to read scripture, which is great, but then to actually stop and consider what you read, it's a whole different discipline. And what's interesting, my wife has been discipled by these older ladies her, for her whole adult life. And it was always so hard because all of the people that have mentored my wife over the years have been these retired godly women who sit and read scripture for like three hours a day. 
And as like a young mom, you know, I'm like, well, why aren't you reading three, scripture three hours a day? She's like, are you kidding me? And she'd be all frustrated with me. And I'm like, oh, listen, I'm just trying to be supportive in your walk with God, right? <laughs> but there's something, there's this retired posture in, in, in these godly women who are these anchors of the church here at our church, the anchors of our church, these godly women who can just spend three hours reading scripture, reflecting all day. Oh, so good. Jeff talked about part of his discipline is having an hour. He needs an hour. I'm a younger pastor. I'm a little less disciplined. So I'm like, I need an hour too. I just can't pull it off every single day, but I want to, right? But that's my job. Like, that's our job. It's our job to make sure if we're going to be, you know, part of the spiritual leadership of this community, we better make sure we're spending time with Jesus. But you and your life situation, you may not have an hour every day, but you need to make sure there is time every day to read scripture and to reflect. I, the way I reflect is I have this journal and uh, once a year I buy a moleskin uh, journal and uh, if a good year, I can tell the year because if it's a good year, I've read through the whole thing and I've written through the whole thing. Bad years, I get like a third of the way through, but every new year I buy a brand new one anyway. So this is the end of this year's journal. One of the things that I do with a friend of mine, and if you're like, I don't have any space in my life, I don't understand your world, I can't do it. Well, here's four minutes. This, I do, this is a new discipline that I started doing. We, I do a psalm of the day with the guy that I meet with pretty regularly. So every day I read a psalm. And then when you read the psalm, you say, okay, God, what in this whole psalm stands out to me? Something in this whole psalm, whether it's alarming or inspiring, something just kind of stands out. So then when it stands out, then I think for a minute, God, what do you, why did that stand out to me? And then I text my friend this, the verse and then my one sentence reflection. That's it. Every day. It's super simple. So somewhere in that spectrum from a psalm a day to three hours, right? We as godly women and men have to make space to read scripture and to reflect. God, based on your word, what do you have for me? What are you calling me to change, to correct, to do? How do I have a faith that's inspired and intelligent and involved? We have to get our head around that. Okay, the third thing is this, that we are called to be a blessing. If and when, as you start moving towards Christ, if and when you start being more disciplined in your walk towards Christ, if you are anything like me, whenever I start taking something really serious, I realize no one around me is taking it seriously. I do this around weight all the time, right? It's the first of the year. If you even have bread around me on January 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, I'm just going to judge you. Don't you realize carbs are the enemy, right? We're all trying to be fit. And you're, what are you doing? Like I just, and my wife hates it because I just get like single track mind. I just judge her and everybody. How would anyone eat like this? And she's like, I know you eat in private. Like, I don't know what your problem is, <laughs> right? We do that. We, we, we have a discipline and then we judge people. And that happens spiritually. If you start saying, I'm going to take my walk with Christ seriously. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to reflect with, I'm going to actually try to say no to the certain things that God might be telling me to say no to. And I look around, I'm like, God told me to say no to this. And yet it's okay with you. And all of a sudden our like self-righteousness muscles just like emerge. If that's happening, then you're doing it wrong. We are not called to be self-righteous people. We're called to be righteous people. Our righteousness is meant to be a gift and a benefit to the people around us. If your faith is the smell of death to people around you because you are self-righteous and you're a jerk and you are just you know, staring down people around you who are different than you, then you have missed it totally. We are a faith that expresses itself in being a blessing. We're a faith that's involved. And so all of this fruit, you know you are doing all these little disciplines right when all of a sudden you are the fragrance of Christ. Everything about your life and faith is postured 
to love other people, to care for other people, to be a benefit and blessing to other people. And then the last one is, is kind of a no-brainer, except here in Marin, we're awful at it, which is this. We have to be together. We have, we've bought in this lie that I can be a Christian all by myself because God's invisible, he's everywhere, and I can go for a hike and I can spend time with God, which is totally true. But for some reason, for all of Christian history, Christians knew they had to gather together. Christians knew that they needed one another. Me, by myself, with an invisible God, is going to miss a lot of things. I need Christians in my life who know me, who are willing to speak truth into my life, who are willing to encourage me, who are willing to help me wrestle with really hard theological issues and personal issues to figure out which convictions I can say yes to and not say yes to, to figure out how to raise my kids, right? We have to do those things together, and yet we love being by ourselves. And so for us, it's actually a discipline to get over our individualism, to get over our selfishness, to make a little bit of space to be connected to one another. And it's kind of preaching the choir because you made it here on a Sunday morning. Good job. So that's part of it. We come on Sunday morning. We make sure we're part of smaller groups, Bible studies and fellowship groups. Um, starting next week, we have this MCCU class because we're so bad at it. We do three weeks. Three weeks once a year, we say, let's try to be together. And so for three weeks in January on Wednesday night, our whole church is going to be together. We're going to have dinner together. We'll have stuff for the kids. And then we'll have classes for the adults. And you may not be like, not one of those classes appeals to me. That's okay. One of these classes is not about the class. It's not about the food. It's about being together. It's about being in the rhythm of doing life together, about rubbing shoulders with other Christians to spur us on to know him. I think the classes are pretty great, but even if you don't think they're great, it's about the discipline. We're doing a class on culture, music, mo uh, movies, and memes. It's being taught by me and a high school kid. Um, uh, Steve Finkbeiner is doing a class developing the mind of Christ. We're doing a class uh, where uh, Danielle, Pastor Danny is bringing in missionaries and they're going to talk about cultural competency. And Arv Kretz is going to be doing a Bible study on how to be a, a better Christian and a deeper Christian at work. And those are great classes. And even if they're not great, it's great to be together. So lastly, because I, uh, it's a short morning and it's kind of awkward and rude if you just get up and leave. So I'm going to invite you. We're actually going to try this a little bit. Because for some reason, it says, oh yeah, be quiet, pray and, and read the Bible. And then we go home and we never do it again. And so I did a shorter sermon so that part of our time together can be to do that, where we can encounter God's word, we can be reflective, and we can consider how God's word might motivate us to be a benefit and a blessing to the world around us. So you have a bulletin, and in your bulletin, you may not realize this, but there's places for notes, right? Every week. Oh, who knew that? You could be reflective every week at church as you not just take your shopping list, but think, God, what do you have for me? So you have your notes. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to encounter God's word. So what better place to start? Jesus summed up all the scriptures into the one greatest commandment found in Mark chapter 12. Jesus says this, we're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. What a great place to start this new year. Ah, oh, we read God's word. How great is that? But the money happens when we stop and we're quiet and we reflect. Now, I'm not very good at writing questions, but I, I, I wrote three questions for us to, to think about together. So what does it look like to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Is there something that you might need to quit doing in order to love God more fully? And how can your love for God prove to be a blessing to others? 
So what we're going to do is we're going to spend four whole minutes being quiet. We've encountered God's word and we're going to be reflective. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, speak through us. And we're just going to write down whatever God puts on our heart. And then we'll be just about done. Okay, let's do that for four minutes. You did it. It's like doing sit-ups, right? It's not that exciting. No one likes doing the core workout. Core workout's what matters the most. That's what the fitness people tell me. But that is it. Encountering God, reflecting on his word, figuring out how to be a blessing and being together. It's the daily practices that are going to allow us, the women and men of Marin Covenant Church, to be a benefit and blessing to our county, to be the missionaries that God has planted us to be. Because here's the truth, that God is alive and active. There are people in our community, there are people new to our church that God is wooing to himself. And God longs for you to be part of it, longs for you to be the people who get to share the love and grace of God with them. And we only can do that if we're rooted in God's word, if we're people who are moving towards Christ and we're people who are more and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so my last question for you is just, is this, what is your plan? You have a plan for everything else in your life. And for some reason, we all think, I'm just going to do this when I want to do it. If I'm just going to practice my guitar when I want to practice my guitar, I never practice my guitar like twice a year. If I'm going to paint only when I want to paint, I paint like once a year. If I spend time with God only when I want to spend time with God, right, it rarely happens. And so like every other thing in our life, if we want to be these mature women and men of God, then we have to have a plan. And so what is your plan? And I would just love as we wind up our service, as we wind up our day together, for you just think about what is going to be your spiritual formation plan. And if you're still confused, if you're still not sure exactly what to do or you need some additional help, man, please email any one of us on the pastoral team or the directors. Talk to Arv for crying out loud. He's been doing this Christian thing a long time, right? Find someone, people would love to walk through this with you. Find the thing that works so that you can run after all that God has for you. All right, with all that being said, would you stand with me? Let me pray for us, and then we'll do one more song, and then we'll call it quits. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, what a gift it is to be planted here in Marin County, to be called your family, to be called your precious daughters and sons, and with all the rights that we get of being invited into your family. We just take and we love. But I pray, God, that we'd have a more of a noble posture, that we would see all the benefits and blessings that we've gotten by being connected to you, that you would tune our hearts so that we would extend that to other people. Give us your eyes to see, your ears to hear for the places that you are alive and you are moving. So by your grace, more and more people may come to know you and love you and serve you. And it'd be for your glory. Amen.